and welcome back to Supply Chain Broadcast. This is an extra special episode about the garment and textile industry. I'm joined by Charlie from the University of Amsterdam. Hello. And he's going to tell us about his research into that subject. So Charlie, could you introduce yourself? I'm Charlie from the UK. I'm currently at the University of Amsterdam completing my Master's in International Development. And as part of that Master's, I've just spent three months in Rwanda looking at the development of the textiles and garment industry and the phase-out of second-hand clothing in the country. So how did you get interested in this subject? Good question. Well, I when I originally came to study here, I already had a large interest in the East Africa textiles and garment industry. With the rise of China and the Southeast Asia as the kind of head producers of textiles and garments, countries are now looking towards East Africa uh, as East Africa is industrialising because of a cheap labour force. A lot of the garment industry uh, is starting to move towards East Africa, specifically Ethiopia, has a growing um, garment industry. So originally I wanted to look at Tanzania, which both grows cotton and produces garments, but the, the, the supply chain isn't integrated. So you, Tanzania is exporting cotton and exporting garments, but they're not using the cotton, turning into textiles and then creating garments from that. They're importing textiles to create the garments, but exporting their raw raw cotton. And then I was looking around uh, East Africa in general, which is trying to create a regional supply chain, and looked at Rwanda. Now, Rwanda is doing something quite interesting in its efforts to industrialize uh, and create a lot of jobs. It's really, really focusing on key industries to kind of catalyze that growth. And one of them is the textiles and garment industry. Now, Rwanda is not really famed in the past for its garment industry. It doesn't grow raw cotton, so for starters, doesn't have the kind of raw product to make textiles, and thus has really relied on secondhand clothing over the last 30 years as the main form of clothing for consumers. So that kind of drew my, drew my attention to the secondhand clothing industry. We estimate that around 25,000 people worked in this industry. Now, the reason um, Rwanda's decided to phase out secondhand clothing is what's called import substitution industrialization. So because they have such a nascent textiles and garment industry with only two key players, two uh, garment factories, they thought the best way to kind of catalyze growth is to stop the import of used clothing, uh, which they just think is stunting the growth of their own garment industry. So what they've done basically is put these very high tariffs on used clothing and footwear into the country. So before, when when one imported uh, used clothing, it would the, the import tariffs would be about 20 cents per kilogram. It's now $2.50 per kilogram, which is about over a thousand percent increase in the, ta- in the tariff, which makes it, when you obviously when you scale up to large quantities of clothing makes it very expensive and kind of unaffordable to import thus the idea being that all imports will be curbed there'll be no secondhand clothing in the country and thus consumers will have to rely on other forms of clothing which the government hopes to substitute with rwandan made products where is the supply of secondhand clothing mostly coming from really great question so when we think about the uk the netherlands other countries in Europe and the US. In the last 20 years, we've seen this explosion of fast fashion, which is mainly because of the kind of globalized production network of the garment industry now. It's very cheap to create clothing on a mass scale. This has made clothing very cheap, 
which means we're accumulating more of it. So we end up discarding a lot of clothing because we no longer wear it. So we give it away to charity. So it's kind of this guilt-free exercise of giving away clothing to a charity. But uh, we don't really think about what happens uh, with the clothing once we give it away. Actually, what happens is a lot of these firms, like Oxfam, Save the Children, will either export the clothing directly or sell it to an exporter, commercial exporter. And what happens is in these large warehouses in the, in the UK, for example, the clothing is sorted and graded depending on the quality. And then the different quality, uh, A, B and C is how it's graded, will be exported to different countries, mainly in West and East Africa. So, for example, Ghana is one of the largest importers in West Africa. And uh, Kenya is one of the largest importers in East Africa. So in a way, you can think of this as kind of inverse supply chain with the production in the north and consumption in the south. When we think of supply chains in general, like the production is normally based in the south and with consumption in the north. So it's quite an interesting um, inversion. So how does this inverse supply chain work in practice? What's the relationship between the countries that are involved? There are two forms of networks either coordinated or unintegrated. So a coordinated network is where there's a great relations between the northern exporters and the southern importers. So the southern importers have employees in the north actually in the process of grading and analysing the types of clothing that have been donated. Thus, when it goes to the south, they have much more control over the quality of clothing coming into the country. However, what we're also seeing is unintegrated networks where the all the power is in the north. So a commercial exporter will decide on the quality of clothing and then just send that clothing to a southern importer, which means the importer has far less control over the quality and types of clothing coming into the country, which can have detrimental effects when it actually gets to the stage of consumption because a lot of it will have to be thrown away. If we think about Rwanda and they're getting a bunch of winter coats, I mean, the country's never cold, so they're never going to need those coats. So what happens is they're all just thrown into landfill or, or burned. So you have these two networks which um, have very different power structures. So there can be integration issues between the two countries. For sure. And Oxfam, for example, is very aware of this. So something Oxfam is trying to do is have much more control over the whole supply chain. So they will collect the clothing in the UK. They will sort it and grade it. And then they also have shops in, say, Senegal where they sell it. So they're trying to make sure that there's not just kind of dumping. We hear this word dumping a lot of secondhand clothing onto a developing country. There needs to be some coordination. And how does this work practically? How does the clothing actually get to... Uh, Rwanda and what happens when it's there in terms of the logistics? So what will happen is that an exporter will send it to either Mombasa in Kenya, which is a large port, or Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. The containers normally contain around 27,000 kilograms worth of clothing. So an importer will order a certain type of clothing from a northern exporter. It then travels six days from either Mombasa or Dar es Salaam to uh, Kigali, the capital of Rwanda, where it's held in the customs warehouse called Majarwa, which is the only real customs warehouse in Rwanda. It holds about 90-95% of all imported cargo. It is then declared, signed off with all the taxes, and then it will go to the importer's warehouse in, in Rwanda, mainly in Kigali. And then importers basically will uh, receive the secondhand clothing, normally in 50 kilogram bales within the, the container. And there'll be different types of clothing from children's wear to men's and women's wear to shoes. 
Um, and then this is where you see the power structures within the uh, supply chain uh, manifest. So basically the import has all the power and will say to a wholesaler who will buy, say, 100 bales from the importer, you can't look at the clothing before you buy it. So it's wrapped in these in these bales and then they are unable to tell what the, what the quality of the clothing will be. And then these wholesalers will take these bales to markets, open them up, and then traders will buy individual... Well, if, if traders have enough money, they're at the bottom of the supply chain. If they have enough money, they'll buy a whole bale from a wholesaler. If they don't, they'll buy individual pieces. And then these uh, uh, their clothing they've bought is sold on these large markets in Kigali or other big cities. So, for example, Kimi Ronkoba Market's a huge one in Kigali or Nabu Gogo Market. And then consumers will come and buy the clothing from uh, the traders. But the traders really are at the bottom step um, of, of the supply chain. And it's very difficult for them to move up the supply chain due to kind of low profits from from kind of selling individual items and having l- no control over the quality of clothing coming in. Well, thanks for that really nice outline of the sort of key players of this supply chain. I'm wondering, in the context of these increased import tariffs that the Rwandan government are bringing in, what effects are there on all of these key players at all the different levels? So basically what's happened is Rwanda was one of the largest importers for its size. Rwanda is a country of 13 million. Um, but for its size, it imported a lot of secondhand clothing. So in 2015, it was over $20 million worth. And what we're seeing in 2018 is only around $800,000 worth. So we're seeing a massive reduction in the amount of secondhand clothing, at least formally, which is coming into the country. So basically what this has done is destroyed the industry. There are now no longer any uh, large importers um, which import into Rwanda. Um, there are still wholesalers uh, and traders, but they've had to find different sourcing strategies. What will mainly happen is they will go to Uganda or Tanzania and bring back a small selection of clothing from those countries where it's not banned and will sell, still sell on the market. But it's been much harder now to find the clothing. I actually did a survey with around 40 market traders in three different markets in Kigali just to understand the effects the phase-outs had on their ability to trade. And what we've seen is a vast unemployment effect. While it's difficult difficult to get official unemployment figures, you know, I went to one market which used to have 3,000 second-hand clothing traders and now has 300. So you're kind of seeing a massive reduction just in one market. For those who are still trading and I was able to do a survey with, what we're seeing is a big decrease in profits. So 80% of traders surveyed were earning kind of over $76 in profits a month before the phase out. But after 75% are earning less than $75 a month in profits. So just on a financial level, it's, it's really affected them. And a lot of them are now having to find alternative strategies to uh, sourcing their clothing. And there's been no real kind of government input to help these people in the transition. With large importers, they are able to transition because of um, you know large cap- capital reserves. So they're able to find new products to trade in. But for traders kind of at the bottom of the supply chain who do not have large capital reserves, it's been difficult to find, you know, either retrain and uh, find a new profession or start trading in, in different uh, products. The government's response to this is, oh, you know, when uh, Rwandan clothing production increases, they'll be able to trade in that. However, as a kind of a large lag in the production of Rwandan garments. So a lot of people are unemployed and having spoken to a lot of traders, everyone knows someone who's in a, a phase of unemployment trying to find new ways to make a living. 
So it really has kind of reduced the industry to its bare, bare minimum now. What we're seeing with large importers is that a lot of them are still trading, but what they're doing is importing the clothing into the country and then directly re-exporting it to the DRC, Uganda, Burundi, and thus not having to pay the large import taxes because it's being directly re-exported. And is this gap... Uh... Is this gap being filled by Rwandan-made clothing or...? That is the big question. This is what I went to test. Basically, no, and not at the current moment. If you think about how long it takes to grow an industry, three years is not long enough. Rwanda had just two large garment producers in the country. And in that time, we've seen another eight pop up, but they're still in the phase of construction and development. So what you're not seeing is uh, mass production of clothing yet. And the other problem is it's very difficult to keep production costs down because it's a landlocked country six days away from a port. So it's very difficult to stay competitive. So what you are seeing a rise of is imported new clothing from China, which is cheap, cheaper than currently domestically produced clothing. So last year there was $18 million worth of uh, new, new apparel imported into the, into the country. Now that's not to say that is directly substituted or um, the quantity of um, secondhand clothing which was in the country before there was about 29 million kilograms imported in uh, 2015 of secondhand clothing now since the phase out that's drastically reduced almost to zero but for new clothing there's only been 4 million kilograms worth imported in, in 2018 which shows that um, actually like there's still a large gap between what was being imported and supplied with secondhand clothing so what do you think the future holds for the Rwandan garment industry? I think, as we've just seen, there's still this huge gap between what's been imported with new apparel and um, local production, which has not filled the gap of secondhand clothing. Uh, the government suggests if I came back in five to ten years, there'd be a whole different picture and story. But, I mean, the most important point here is right now people are struggling um, as a result of this aggressive phase out. The government should be supporting uh, traders uh, who are losing out, secondhand clothing traders who are losing out as a result of these large increases. These people in my eyes are really the market experts. They know what consumers want. And as Rwanda is trying to increase mass production um, of garments, these people should be consulted and in, in, uh, included in the production process to be able to produce clothing that matches the quality, uniqueness, and um, frankly, cheapness of secondhand clothing. In until Rwandan garments can meet those three criteria, it's never going to be as attractive as secondhand clothing. Thank you, Charlie, for joining us on Supply Chain Broadcast. That was really interesting. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate your time. Supply Chain.